Our New Testament reading is from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 8, 9, verses 1 through 9. Uh, it's on page 229 in your pew Bibles. James, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please. Well, to the one who is poor, you say, stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into the court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Well, again, I want to say thank you for everyone participating last week in our World Communion service. I thought it went really well. Uh, the service and the lunch, um, you just can't deny that international potluck. It's pretty amazing, the different foods that we get to try and taste, and I just love that. Um, one of the aspects about our service on those combined Sundays is that we have a translator which I know is, can be a little tedious, and I appreciate that people are, are saying this is important for us to be together. But how many of you appreciate Rocio Rosales? Yes. If you do, say amen. Yes, okay. Good. I do too, I love her, and I, and I thank God for uh, the fact that we started the Hispanic ministry back in, I think it was 2002 or 2003, because if we had not, she would not be here, okay? I know a lot of people say, well, if people come to the United States, they should speak English, and, and I know that, I get that, but when uh, Rocio first came here, she did not, and she was completely in the Hispanic ministry, and it's taken her, what, Let's do some math here, 2019 to 2003, 16 years, and now she's translating for us. Um, so that's why we do what we do. We provide a place where people can meet and worship God, and then as they grow, they become a part of our fellowship. And I think we're a better church for people like Rocio, okay? And on top of that, we get Ashley. Yes. 
who's not here today, but maybe she's upstairs, I don't know. But um, Oh, she's with children's ministry. See, she's working in the children's ministry. So we probably wouldn't have had Ashley. Ashley would have been going to a completely Spanish-speaking um, church. Uh, that's just where she would have stayed. So, so that's what, why we do what we do. And so we're working through a sermon series on our mission and vision statements. And um, today we're focusing on what that means to move from multi-ethnic to intercultural, to be intentionally intercultural and intergenerational. Okay? Um, when I made my presentation last June, uh, after the big hooding service and everybody, and then we went upstairs and we had lunch and then I made my presentation. Most of you, I noticed, pretty much fell asleep. I totally understand that. It was a warm day. I was falling asleep while I was talking, so I totally, I totally get that. But we had some uh, dignitaries from the Presbytery here, and after that presentation, um, just actually just recently, they contacted me and said, we want you to make a presentation at the Presbytery because we think this topic is very important. Now, I was shocked because the keynote speakers at Presbytery, I cannot, I've been a member of the Presbytery for 25 years. I cannot remember ever having a keynote speaker that was a member of the Presbytery. There are always people brought in from outside. But this topic is the trending topic in churches now across the United States. How can we build a better intercultural, intergenerational church? We're not doing it well. We want to do it. We all have hearts for it, but we keep stumbling along the way. So that's why we're focusing on that intensely right now. Um, So a main theme for my research was that shift from being multi to being inter. Um, and that's, it's so important to me, that's why I included it in the bulletin. So I'm gonna just read this. I'm gonna feel like one of my professors back in the old days um, when they would uh, assign us to go and buy their book and told us to read, and then they would, I would come in for lecture and they would read from the book that I just bought and paid for that went into their pockets above their salary while they read the book to me. So, uh, but I'm gonna read this. I haven't published a book yet. So, um, from multi-ethnic to intercultural, what is the difference between multi-ethnic, multicultural, cross-cultural, and intercultural? While they all might be under the same roof, they describe entirely different rooms. The differences in the meaning have to do with the perspectives we take when interacting with people from other cultures. So it's our perspectives. So multi-ethnic, and sorry, this is all bold. It shouldn't be. It should just be that multi-ethnic is bold. Um, And probably none of you even noticed that until I said that, but that's just my OCD coming out. Multi-ethnic refers to a society that contains several ethnic groups, but there is one agreed upon whether conscious or unconscious, culture. While there might be much interaction between different individuals of varying ethnicities, there's little cultural exchange. Many new church developments are multi-ethnic. They're kind of one culture, but they have lots of people from lots of different places. Multicultural 
refers to a society that contains several cultural or ethnic groups. People live alongside one another, but each cultural group does not necessarily have engaging interactions with each other. For example, in a multicultural neighborhood, people may frequent ethnic grocery stores and restaurants without really interacting with their neighbors from other countries. I like the food, but I don't really know you, and I don't really want to talk to you. Okay? In the church, this looks like siloed ministries, um, and that means or nesting churches. So every ministry has their own ministry, and um, whatever you do, make sure you put the utensils back in the right place in the kitchen, or there's going to be war, okay? But, but beyond that, they don't want to really want to talk to each other um, with little or no interaction between the group. Now, and then you have a little, nice little picture that shows different groups, yeah, okay. Cross-cultural deals with the comparison of different cultures. In cross-cultural communication, differences are understood and acknowledged and can bring about individual change, but not collective transformations. In cross-cultural societies, one culture is often considered the norm, and all other cultures are compared or contrasted to the dominant culture. Commonly, the founders of a particular congregation will be the dominant culture, and true intercultural exchange will be extremely difficult. I would say that's kind of us. You know, we're pretty much cross-cultural. We're working towards intercultural, but we have a dominant culture here, right? And we're moving towards intercultural. So intercultural describes communities in which there is a deep understanding and respect for all cultures. Intercultural communication focuses on the mutual exchange of ideas and cultural norms and the development of deep relationships. Ah, there's the key, those deep relationships. In an intercultural society, no one is left unchanged because everyone learns from one another and grows together. So when I say things like, Rocio, I'm glad that somebody like Rocio is a part of our church. We are better because of having her in our congregation. That is an intercultural recognition that we have changed and we're better because of our relationship with members of the Hispanic ministry. Does that make sense? So in James, James, the passage that I just read about not showing partiality and it talks about people who are wealthy and people who are poor and makes that differentiation and don't treat one person one way and another person another way. And that goes both ways, by the way. I said way three times. Um, so we can also say that we shouldn't show partiality to people of a certain age. And by certain age, I don't have anything in mind. We shouldn't show partiality to people of a certain age. We should treat everybody with the same respect and dignity, right? So older people should be treated with respect and dignity. Younger people should be treated with respect and dignity. People about my age, we can kind of so-so. Um, and that goes all the way back to Genesis, right? That passage that I started the service with from Genesis chapter 1, that we are all created in what? The image of God. Everyone is created in the image of God. And I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to uh, Caleb Campbell, 
And he said that when we diminish other people based on their race or ethnicity, we diminish the image of God in them. And by diminishing the image of God in them, we diminish the image of God in the entire church. So we look at people and say, wow, the image of God is there. And then uh, Scott read Psalm 139. I love that psalm. It reminds us that God formed us in the inward parts, that God knit us together in our mother's womb, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, probably more fearfully than wonderfully. Um, but if that's true for me, that's true for you. And if it's true for you, it's true for every person we meet on the street. Every person we meet is fearfully and wonderfully made. It's interesting, I've been watching this um, series on Netflix called Bolivar. Anybody watching that? No, I didn't think so. Because um, it's all in Spanish. There's no English, there's not even, sub there are subtitles. So, Bolivar, Simon Bolivar was the person that um, uh, brought freedom to Colombia, Venezuela, and Ecuador. And so, um, but it's a fascinating historical it's, there's one season and 60 episodes. So <laughs> I was like, no, I'm kind of breaking it up a little bit. Um, but Sophia, my girlfriend's watching it in Colombia and they just have it on TV, regular TV. It's on Netflix up here. Um, so, but it's, what's fascinating is just watching um, society in the late 1800s when they have slaves and they're treating them like slaves, and they're just property. And uh, it's just fascinating to see that. And you think, oh my goodness, the image of God is being diminished in these people. And they're not recognized as fearfully and wonderfully made, um, and how important that is to us. So we want to look at people and always recognize and always identify the image of God in them. We want to see them as neighbors that we love as ourselves. You know, it's interesting in the news this past week. Um, how many of you saw that Ellen DeGeneres was sitting next to George Bush? Right? Big news. And they were laughing and talking together and having a good time together. And a lot of people on Twitter, which I think is uh, a result of the fall, um, <laughs> a lot of people on Twitter were up in uproar that how could Ellen sit next to George Bush because he's blah, 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 and this and that, and all these terrible, terrible things. And Ellen, to her credit, said, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think we've forgotten that that's okay that we're all different. Just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way I do. Can I get an amen? amen? Yeah. Now, did I ever, in my seminary training, ever think that I would quote Ellen DeGeneres in a <laughs> sermon? Probably not, but doggone it, that's a great statement. And that's the way I'm always trying to preach, is that it doesn't matter that we, we don't have to agree on everything, but we can still be kind to each other, we can still love each other, and it'll all get sorted out when we get to heaven. And some of us will say, oops, I had it wrong, and some of us will say, oops, I had it right, and, and I had right on this and wrong on this, and it's all gonna 
shakeout. So, when moving from multi-ethnic to intercultural, um, I'm going to offer some do's and don'ts. Um, but first, but let's, let me just say, I'm going to switch it and say don'ts and do's. So, and you might want to write these down, because I think these are pretty helpful. Don't assume. Do ask questions. Don't assume. Do ask questions. All brown people are not Mexican. <laughs> Can I get an amen? amen. Okay. We have a, sometimes uh, that can be offensive to some people. Um, I used to laugh when the Kenyan church was here. And people would say, wow, you have a lot of African Americans here. And I'd say, uh, no, they're Africans. <laughs> Not African Americans. <laughs> so we see one kind of person and we kind of assume that they're this. And that can be trouble. Uh, if we've had a bad experience with a certain kind of person, we can assume that other people that look like them will be like them. And therefore, we can tense up. Um, so, there's a fine line between assumption and racism. Okay? When we say, oh, 90% of this kind of people do criminal acts, well, there's 10% that don't. So we have to be very careful not to, to fall into this. Because um, we, we start to say things like, all such and suches are like this. Same is true with ageism. We do it with kids too, right? Oh, all millennials are, are entitled, blah, blah, blah. Well, not all millennials act that way or feel that way. So we have to be very careful. Um, don't assume things. Last uh, a year, gosh, it's been a year and a half. Wow. A year and a half ago, we were doing the workshops, the God's uh, Playground workshops. And so we invited people to, pro um, to provide food. And w one month, uh, Rocio Rosales um, volunteered to bring food to the next meeting. And everyone, of course, was smiling. Rocio brings food to Mexican food. It's really good. We love Mexican food. And her husband, he's a fisherman. He, go, he has his own boat. He goes out into the ocean. He brings up some great fish, and he makes ceviche oh, <laughs> to die for. So, you know, I said, oh, Rocio, thank you for volunteering to bring lunch. What do you think he'll bring? And she goes, oh, I think barbecue chicken. <laughs> Barbecue chicken? And we all kind of, you know, some people were a little upset. Like, well, I could go to get barbecue chicken anywhere. Um, and, and that's where we kind of all started to laugh and say, okay, this is actually a great example of what we're talking about here. That we shouldn't assume things about people. Well, Rocio's from Mexico, so she'll bring Mexican food. Not necessarily. She brought kind of a good old-fashioned American di dish, and it, it was good. Um, secondly, uh, the do's and don'ts, the don'ts and do's. Don't speak for others. Do invite others to speak. 
Let me say that again. Don't speak for others. Do invite others to speak. And, and what I mean by that is that people have a tendency to speak with great authority on the culture of other cultures. Oh, well, you know, that's just a cultural thing for them. And they kind of, and what's funny is they'll say it in the presence of some people from that ethnicity or culture, and I'll be like, um, okay. Now, I will say it's, well, I won't say it. Okay. It's generally Caucasian men that do that. Um, because they're so wise. Um, so, so just be careful that you don't kind of, because we're smart, we're educated, we're, we want to show people how smart and educated we are. Um, that's kind of the way some of us are, myself included. So um, just perhaps when you're thinking something like that, then I look at a person of that culture and say, hey, so what's your perspective on this? What do you think about this? Rather than kind of put everybody into a nice box that fits well for us. So that's my second don't and do. Third, don't take control. Do step back and invite participation. Don't take control. Do step back and invite participation. Uh, I heard a, a pastor at a Presbyterian meeting one time, and he had started a ministry similar to ours, and I was really excited. He had um, several different ethnic leaders working with him, and when he got up before the Presbytery and he kind of discussed this um, intercultural exchange, he said, okay, I want to invite my team up, and I cringed. Why would I cringe? My team. He said my team. It wasn't our team or the team. It was my team. So it was with his team. Um, that was the sense I got. So trying to level the playing ground for all people, that is a super important uh, aspect. Now, I'm a white male American. I know that's a surprise to many of you. Um, <laughs> And I'm a typical A-type personality. I'm a problem solver. Uh, I, I want to get things done. I want to finish what we started. I want to do this. Um, other cultures don't necessarily function that way. Um, sometimes meetings are more about relationship than problem solving. Sometimes um, they're about saving face above um, solving problems. Uh, the Western versus Eastern mentality, this was a fascinating thing for me when I started to study more about this. In an Eastern culture, and here I'm, why don't you tell us about, no, I'm just kidding. Um, in an Eastern culture, the idea of saving face is super, super important. And so, um, and <laughs> did you say no? No? Okay. In some that I read from Asian, Asian authors, so um, when you're in a meeting and uh, the leader says one thing or another and, um, and somebody else says, no, we can't do that. See, I've lost face. Good. Um, <laughs> then, then it, so our different cultures can clash in a meeting. 
because we're trying to get things done. One person wants to do it this way, another person wants to do it this way. So there can be struggles that way. So to be able to step back and say one thing or another. Um, what's funny is this can sometimes sound a little similar to family life, right? Um, first, one of the breadwinner goes out, works all day, as solving problems. People come into the office and, hey, we have a problem with this. Well, this is how we're going to fix it. Okay, great, thank you. What leaves? And then that person goes home and their spouse goes, I've had a terrible day. And the problem solver goes, well, this is how we're going to fix it. And the person says, shut up. I just want to talk to you, you know. Anybody say that can relate in their marriage, you know? Sometimes that that can happen. So, um, so intercultural, intergenerational community, relationship becomes more important than problem solving. Let me just repeat that. In an intercultural, intergenerational community, relationship becomes more important than problem solving. So let the problems exist and let's work together um, and grow together. Another do and don't. Don't try to incorporate others into your culture or tradition. Do allow the entire culture to be transformed. So don't force people, okay, come on in, here, sing these hymns and do this and that, but allow others to kind of transform us along together. That's the difference between the inter. All parties change because of the relationship. All grow together. When we require others to adapt to our culture or our tradition, we've turned our tradition into an idol. Um, something that's more important than our relationship with God and with one another. And then finally, don't look for other, uh, for ways others can help contribute to us. Do look for ways we can help others. Don't look for ways that you can contribute to me. Rather, look for ways that I can help you. I think I've shared the story of the, the memorial service the Kenyans did, and they asked for me they wanted a sound person. We couldn't find a sound person, so I went up and did the sound. And the pastor of the Kenyan congregation was so thrilled um, that I would be up there. It shocked him. And the idea that I didn't come because I wanted a place of glory on the chancel, I came to serve. That made a huge impact on him and changed their attitude towards our church, really. They were about to leave. And uh, when I did that, they, were, they said, you know, we're going to stay because you were willing to do that. So, so the challenge for us with these do's and don'ts, um, the challenge for us, um, I have a confession to make. Uh, last Friday, I went to a concert. Now, I know that's not unusual for me. I like to go to concerts a lot. Um, there's this uh, Dutch singer named Annika van Biersbergen, and I really like her. And she does some great stuff, and she was going to perform, so I bought a ticket to go see her perform, and I got the pre-meet and greet so I could meet her and um, these sorts of things. Um, and I, didn't, I had no idea who the other two bands were. So I got there, and um, I, I got in the line to go into the Grove uh, over here in Anaheim, and everybody, everybody was in black. And... Everybody, men and women, had really long hair. 
and there were a lot of piercings and tattoos, and uh, the women were in a lot of makeup, and lots of big black boots that were really high. And I was standing there going, hurdy dirty <laughs> What am I doing here? And uh, Annika came out when she played, she just played on the acoustic guitar and sang some songs, and it was great, she, I loved it. Um, so uh, my confession is that last Friday I went to a death metal Prague concert. Um, so let me just say that like, I was like this most of, most of the night. I didn't stay till the very end. Um, you'll be happy to know. Um, but uh, it was different. Um, but what was so interesting to me, between the acts, I got talking to the people. They were some of the nicest people I've ever talked to. Now, normally I'd be thinking, they're Satanists, they're occultists, they're all these things. I, but the, I mean, they were, some of them were a little nerdy, um, but then again, I'm a little nerdy, you know? So I had some great conversations, and um, I remember at the time thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Um, but by the end of the night, I was kind of thinking about Dr. Seuss, oh, the places you will go. Um, it's just kind of an adventure. And, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I shouldn't be judging people. I should just be kind to people, no matter what. And so if somebody walks in here with black leather and nose rings and tattoos, we just love them. I even remember at the concert, what would Jesus do? Would he leave? Probably he would leave. I don't think I should stay. Um, and, and then I thought, well, maybe he would stay because he'd be, just be loving all these people. I don't know. They didn't have concerts like that back then. So um, our assumptions about others often are often based on fear. And uh, fear does not build relationships. Fear builds walls to protect ourselves. Um, so the goal for an intentional intercultural intergenerational community is to value others to get past that fear, to learn from them and to grow from them and to be transformed as individuals and as an organization. And the key word is intentional. It, we have to do this with intentionality. It doesn't just happen. That's the, that's the problem with most churches is they just say, let's just get a bunch of people together and we'll sing Kumbaya and everything will be great. Um, but it goes against our nature and we have to, to go deeper. Um, but it is, I believe, what God has called us to be and to do. So may we continue to grow in our sense of being an intentional, intercultural, intergenerational community.